Well, go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans chapter number 7. Romans chapter number 7. And as we're working our way through the book of Romans, we've been dealing with uh, justification and uh, salvation and sanctification. Really, in chapter 6, he started. And in chapter 7, we're going to look at the, the deliverance from the demands of the law. The deliverance from the demands of the law. Now, the first couple of verses, uh, I read this several times, and uh, as I was reading it, uh, I thought, well, that's a whole different topic altogether. But if you, if you read it and you follow the context, sometimes Paul gets wordy, and uh, he, will, he will drive home a point, but he's illustrating something. And so in the first few verses of this chapter, uh, he is really using an illustration and then, uh, and we'll look at that, and we'll, we'll look at the middle part of the chapter as well. And I don't feel like we will have time to get into the end of the chapter uh, tonight. And next week, we will, of course, we'll have revival service. But I feel like we'll be able to pick that back up, uh, the latter part of the chapter, uh, without any problem. Uh, but that first part of the chapter really goes together. So uh, as we look at this, Romans chapter number 7, verse number 1, the Bible says this, Know ye not, brethren... For I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him whom is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. And let's stop right here and uh, let's have a word of prayer before we get into the message and then we'll get into this passage. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you just for your goodness to us. Thank you, Father, for your word that we can read, that we can understand, that, God, we can draw from. And, God, I pray that you would uh, use me. God, I pray that you'd speak through me. I pray, Father, that you'd give us understanding to help understand these, uh, these passages and the, the context. And, God, what you're trying to say uh, to us in your word. God, I pray that you would just, again, uh, use me and speak through me, Father. And we'll be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we go into chapter 6, uh, as we went into chapter 6, rather, uh, looking back with me just to, for a second to the first few verses of chapter 6, he says in chapter 6, verse number 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, God forbid. And then he goes on. And we know that in chapter 6, he's covering the fact that, uh, that, that many times people will say, well, if I'm saved, and if all my sins are washed away, then I can do whatever I want at this point. And he's saying, no, God forbid that you would, uh, I used the illustration a couple weeks ago, I think it was, of, of debt and having a pile of debt and then having somebody come by and, and pay off that debt and, uh, and in addition to that, give you a whole boatload of money. And you're like, wow, I can live any way you want. And then he says, no, 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 that's not it. 
that you would live in a right manner and learn to govern yourself. So, so in chapter 6, he's really dealing with uh, liberalism and running off as far as you can get away uh, from God. And in chapter 7, uh, I'll put it this way, is that he's really dealing with legalism. And, and so then he goes that uh, the opposite of that spectrum of going wherever you want and doing whatever you want is saying, listen, these are the things that will bring you closer to God. Um, listen, there's, there's not things outwardly uh, that will make us closer to God. And so we need to understand that in Christendom and even in the Jews uh, that was one of the biggest problems with Judaism is that they had uh, gotten down to the very letter of the law. And, uh, and they, would, they would make people do things, but there was absolutely no spirituality in that. And Romans 7 deals with the law. Matter of fact, the law is mentioned very frequently throughout uh, the, the chapter number 7 here in the book of Romans. And so it's really something that is dealt with. Both of them deal with sanctification. One deals with running loose and going as, as crazy as you can, and the other uh, becomes legislating sanctification. Well, if you don't do this, then you're not sanctified. And so those are the two ideas that are being uh, discussed in these two chapters. And, uh, and so we need to understand that. Legalism, uh, I put down here, is the idea that as long as we dress a certain way or do certain things, that we have a higher spiritual position than other, uh, than other people. And that's simply not true. Uh, many you, you may know or you may not know, but uh, many times, listen, our, you can dress somebody up, but that doesn't mean they're spiritual. Uh, I've watched it take place where, uh, man, I've watched people say, you do this and do that, and you wear this and you wear that, and, and they jump through all those hoops, and all of a sudden they think, well, I'm spiritual because I've done all of this. No, that doesn't make you spiritual. Um, and, and so we need to understand that. Warren Wearsby, he words it this way uh, between these two chapters. He says it, that, that would be legalism, is the belief that I can become holy and please God by obeying laws. It is measuring spirituality by a list of do's and don'ts. The weakness of legalism is that it sees sins, plural, but not sin, the root of the trouble. It judges by the outward and not the inward. Furthermore, legalists fail to understand the real purpose of God's law and the relationship between law and grace. And then he continues on and he says this. He says, in my pastoral experience, I have counseled many people who have suffered severe emotional and spiritual damage because they have tried to live holy lives on the basis of a high standard. I have seen the consequences of these attempts. Either the person becomes a pretender or he suffers a complete collapse and abandons his desires for godly living. I have seen too that many legalists are extremely hard on other people, critical, unloving, unforgiving. Paul wanted to spare his readers this difficult and dangerous experience. And so as we look at this passage, we understand that that is what Paul is dealing with. In chapter 6, he's dealing with, hey, let's go live any way we want, do anything we want. And in chapter 7, he's saying, listen, the, all these do's and don'ts do not make you spiritual. It's a heart issue. And, and so that is what he is dealing with as we look at chapter number 7. In verse number, uh, verses number 1 through 6, 
we can see the comparison of the law. The comparison of the law. Uh, To be clear, in this passage, we read these first four verses. Paul is not teaching on marriage and divorce, but rather he's using it as an illustration to help those familiar with the law to understand our relationship with Christ. Look again with me in verse number one. And we find that that Paul says this in in the word of God. It says, know ye not brethren for, and he says, in parentheses, for I speak to them that know the law. And so he is speaking first and foremost to those who would be familiar with the law. Now, who are the people that are familiar with the law? First and foremost, it would be the saved Jews, uh, those who are saved and those who were Jews. Let me go back and restate this, because on Wednesday night, I said the law referred to the entirety of the word of God. And in the book of Proverbs, it does. When they say the law of God, they are referring to the, uh, the, the, the bulk of what God had given them. They did not have the whole and completed word of God. When Paul talks about the law of God, he is talking about the law of the Old Testament. All right, So he's not talking about the bulk of the whole. And, and how do we know the difference? Because Paul is dealing with the Jewish believers who would like to say, listen, uh, that in order for you to be saved, once you got saved, that you still had to keep the Sabbath, that you still had to do this, and that you still had to do that. And they liked the system of laws that were in place uh, to kind of monitor and control the Christianity. And that's that's what he's dealing with. And these are those who would know the law, being the law of the Old Testament, the, the, uh, the Jewish laws that were there. And that would, first and foremost, be the Jewish people. It would also be, and secondary to that, uh, the, the Christians who had bumped into the Jewish leaders who were trying to force the law of the Old Testament on the New Testament believers. And they would be familiar with the law as well. They would be familiar with the things that are written in the law. And, uh, and so this is, this is the crowd that he is addressing here. He said, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. And, uh, and so uh, we see in the first three verses, we see the requirement of marriage according to the law. And uh, the requirement... Uh, was that simply, hey, once you're married, uh, the Bible says, till death do us part. And so we see that, that he was dealing with that. And, uh, and the law was a very rigid law. Uh, listen, the Old Testament law was rigid. You go back, uh, I hope you read your Bible through. By the way, it's October, and I hope you're reading your Bible through and continuing to read through the Word of God. And if not, I want to encourage you to keep doing that. Uh, you say, Pastor, I got way behind. Keep going anyways. There's no rule that you have to finish on December 31st, all right? You can finish on uh, January 15th. You can finish on February 23rd. You can finish. It doesn't matter when you finish, but I can tell you this, that you'll be blessed if you keep going. And if you, I don't care if it takes you to June of 2022 to finish reading through the Word of God. It will bless you to have known just for your own self that you finished. So keep going through the Word of God. I got off on that rabbit trail. I was going to say that before I got started. Um, and I totally lost my place. We're in verse 2. And the rigidity, rig, rigidness of the law. Yes, uh, when we go back, when you go back and, and you read that, uh, that law and you read through how rigid it is, it's not very flexible. 
I mean, if you do this, the punishment is this. And, uh, and, and there were certain things that you just simply could not do. And, and they said many times it's written in the Old Testament, if you, if, you're, if you touch a dead body, then you're unclean until that night. And there's all kinds of things that they had to know. And there's no flexibility within the law. It is a very rigid system. And, uh, and so he's giving an illustration uh, and comparing that rigidness of the law to marriage. And, uh, and being even married to that law. Look at verse number 4. We can see the requirements of, that, of, of, the, uh, of the marriage and of the law within the marriage. But then in verse number 4, he gives us the release from marriage. He says in verse number 4, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another. Ye should be... Uh, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. And in verse 4, he kind of introduces and brings up the same topic that he's discussed in chapter number 6. Chapter number 6, he, he taught us, and we understand that, hey, we are dead to sin, and that sin no, more, no longer hath dominion over us. And, then he's, and here he is saying, to the understand he's writing, uh, to those who would know the law, that would be the Jewish people and the saved people who had bumped into Jews and been uh, perhaps oppressed by the law uh, of the, the Jews that they had brought over into Christianity. And he's saying, listen, uh, because Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary and you trusted Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, listen, you're dead to the law. In other words, hey, we're, we're, not, we're not married to the Old Testament system of the law. It is now broken, uh, and we are released from that. And, uh, and so we can understand that as he gives that illustration of a marriage between a husband and a wife, and when one passes away, then that, uh, that is there's a release there, and they are no longer bound uh, by that law. And so what he's saying is, uh, listen, that, that we are dead, the Bible says there in verse number 4, uh, we are become dead to the law, by the body of Christ. Then he goes on, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. And as we think about all of that, I want you to understand that, uh, that hey, there was a release from that marriage of the law of the Old Testament and remarried to Jesus Christ in the New Testament, there's an espousal to Christ. That's what he's talking about. Go with me. Save your spot here in Romans. And, uh, and go with me to, uh, well, go to Ephesians chapter 2 really quick. Let's just hit that. Ephesians chapter 2. And we know these verses, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Then we'll go on to verse number 10. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 8, he says, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And he goes on in verse 10, and he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I find it interesting in verse 4 that he says that we should be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit 
unto God. Now we know in, in the uh, Old Testament uh, that God had given Adam Eve and, and He told them, hey, to replenish and fill the earth. And then when uh, the world was destroyed in the flood, he told, uh, he told Noah and their sons and their wives to do the same thing, to, hey, fill the, the earth. And generally, uh, in a marriage, usually the fruit of that would be children. And I found it interesting that he throws this illustration that, hey, there would be fruit uh, from the, the marriage to Jesus Christ. And, and we see here in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 and verse number 10, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And God certainly wants to use us and He wants us to have fruit in our life. One of, that, one of the fruit that, we're, uh, that, that we could have and we should have is the fruit of the Spirit. In the adult Sunday school class, we've been going through that. Uh, and that's one of the fruits that ought to be displayed from, our, from being saved and being a child of God. But on top of that, listen, we ought, to, we ought to witness to other people and we ought to see other people get saved and get born into the family of God. Uh, that is yet another fruit. And there's many things that ought to come of a Christian's life. And there's good works that he would like us to do. And these are a result of the salvation. And these are the fruit unto God that we ought to have in our life. And, uh, and so we see that. Uh, it's interesting that he would bring that out. Because look with me in verse number 5. He says, for in, back in Romans chapter 7, in verse number 5. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. So uh, the law could not bring us to Jesus Christ. The law could or could not rather bring, uh, bring forth good works unto God. Really, they brought forth fruit unto death. And what was that fruit? It was the sin in our life. What do you mean? Well, the, the law exposed the sin in our life. And when it exposed the sin in our life and we realized we're sinners, we're guilty before God, then we realized, hey, if we're guilty for something, then there is a condemnation for that same thing. And going back to Romans chapter 6, at the end of the chapter, he says, uh, for the wages of sin is death. And he gives us that condemnation. Well, the, the law had exposed that to us. And so we understood that we were sinners because of the law. And so he's saying, listen, we're no longer bound to that law because we are dead to that law that we could marry another. And that would be Jesus Christ. And we have a new, uh, a new service that ought to come. We have fruit from that marriage and there's a new service. Look with me at verse number six. Of Romans 7 and verse number 6. But now we are delivered from the law that being dead wherein we were held that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. The Old Testament law was very rigid as I started out with. And the Pharisees were very, uh, they were, they were, they liked to pride themselves and, and, cause other people, they like to point out other people's flaws and ever, other people's, well, this is what you have to do and this is where you're wrong and you broke this law and you broke this law and this is how you're going to fix it. And, and it was a very rigid system. And so God is saying, listen, we're dead to that system. 
Now is a system of grace. There's a newness of service. And, and we won't go hog wild because in Romans 6 he says, oh, hey, we can live any way we want. No, no, no. We can't live any way we want. But we ought to have a new desire to serve God with our life. Not because, well, you have to do this, and you have to do this, and you have to do this, and if you don't do this, then you're not, uh, you're not a spiritual person. No, it ought to be our desire to serve God. Because we have a new service, he says here in verse number 6. He said uh, that we should serve in newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And, uh, and so we understand that. Back in Romans 6, in verse number 4, he kind of says that. He says, uh, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And so there's that new desire uh, that ought to be uh, present in our, in our life. And, uh, and he gives us that very clear uh, contrast or that clear illustration, rather, in a marriage relationship. And, uh, and so that's kind of the idea. He's comparing that, that law to a, uh, a marriage relationship and one that was very harsh and one that was very rigid, being the law of the Old Testament, and then under the New Testament being that of grace and that of desire. Uh, God wants us to choose to serve Him with our, with our life. That's what He desires of us. He doesn't want to say, uh, now you do this, and now you do that, and now you do this, and now you do that. He just wants us to choose to do right. Oftentimes in our house, we didn't have a, a lot of rules per se, uh, but, but oftentimes we just kind of expect that our kids do right. Uh, we, we shouldn't have to tell you to do this and to do that and to do this, but we just expect you to do what is right and what is right. Well, to help out and to do things and to do uh, certain things. So uh, there's the idea of serving in a new uh, spirit, not under the oldness of the letter of the law. And so he's, he's giving that comparison in verses 1 through 6. And I hope that's clear. I hope uh, you're able to see that. But the second verses, 7 through 14, we can see the character of the law. Because he gives this illustration in verses 1 through 6, you may take a negative connotation to the law. And you may say, well, the law was very negative. And he's going to counterbalance that in verse number 7. Look at what he says in verse number 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. He's careful to point out in verse number 7, Hey, the law is not sin. The law is not bad. Uh, it's not something that's wrong, uh, but it's rather an excellent law. Look at with me down in verse number 12, because he's careful to point these items out about the law, that there, it was not a bad thing. He says in verse number 11, I'm sorry, verse number 12. Wherefore the law is, and he gives us a few things. The law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. So he doesn't want us to go away thinking, well, the law was bad. No, the law was served a purpose to expose the sin in our lives and cause us to realize, wow, we are in need of salvation. If there is no law, then 
we would ignorantly live any way we would want, and we would ignorantly break laws that, uh, that well, if they didn't exist, I guess we wouldn't break laws. Uh, but, but there would be some order missing in society. And so those laws are there to help provide order and help us understand that the law is not bad, but it exposes our sin. And, uh, and so we need to understand that if we're ignorant of the law, it's easy to break the law. Uh, listen, moving to Peru, many times I, I was like, I didn't know, you know what the law was because I didn't grow up in Peru. Uh, moving to Italy, I didn't know what the law was because I, was, uh, I didn't grow up in Italy. And, uh, and sometimes, ignorantly, uh, we would break laws. Not like, well, I'm going to go out and break this law, but just out of ignorance. And then, uh, and then the little sirens would come and the police would come and say, hey, you can't do this. Or somebody else would let you know, You're not, you can't do this. This is against the law. Oh, okay. I was ignorant of the law. But now that you made me aware, this is the law that, hey, I will abide by it and I will live by it. And that was the purpose of the law in the Old Testament. Uh, and he does call it holy, and he does call it just, and he does call it good. So I don't want us to think that the law was bad. It was rigid, yes. It was demanding, yes, by necessity. Uh, but, it, but it helped us to understand our sin. Look with me at verse 7 and 8, for he, he goes into that. He said, Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. And because sin is defined in the law, then we understand that. We can see sin defined by the law. And he, and he gives an example of lust and thou shalt not covet. And so I don't want us to walk away and say, well, the, uh, the, the Ten Commandments don't apply to us. No, listen, the law is good. Thou shalt not lie. That's a good law to live by. Thou shalt not covet. That's a good law to live by. We don't just throw it away because, uh, because we're not married to it. Uh, but listen, he is quick to point out it is good. And it helps us understand and define what is sin in our life. And uh, not only that, but the defilement of sin. Guilt comes because of a knowledge and a recognition of doing something contrary to the law. And so that's kind of what he's pointing out. And, and the fact that uh, death comes by sin. We know that because of many verses. And then he goes on into the enforcement of the law, verses 9 and 10. He says, for I was alive without the law. In other words, man, I, I had freedom. I didn't even think, I didn't know. I was ignorant of what was right and what was wrong, and I just lived my life without a problem. By the way, many people in the world live that way today. They're ignorant. And so don't get mad at lost people when they talk about drinking and, and do, partying and doing all the things they do. They're ignorant of God's law. They're ignorant of righteousness. They're ignorant of holiness. They're ignorant of what God does uh, like and, and what goes against the Word of God. That's why God has left us here to be the salt of the earth. Not to say, well, you shouldn't do that, but rather, hey, listen, God wants to change your life. And that's not a good lifestyle. And those are not good things, and they will mess up your life. And that's not what God designed or desires for your life. And so uh, understand that the world is going to live without the law. They're going to live like that, and they're, they're not going to have any guilty conscience, per se, many times, from doing those things. 
Verse 9 and 10. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. In other words, he's saying, listen, when I realized the law and I realized the condemnation of the law, I knew I was dead. I knew I was going to suffer that punishment. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. And so he's just saying, listen, the enforcement of that law. Uh, if, if we had a bunch of laws, we had no police officers to uphold those laws, then what's the point of those laws? If there's no consequence, if, if, you're, if you're not allowed to speed, but there are no police officers that are going to pull you over and give you a ticket, then what's the point of setting a speed limit? Because people are going to drive whatever speed they want. If there's, uh, if, there's, you know, if there's no consequence, if there's no enforcement to that law, then the law is absolutely useless. And he's saying that with the law came an enforcement. And that's what I was saying in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And the Bible goes on in James 1.15, and then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And so we know that, hey, there is a consequence for the sin. And that's kind of what he's pointing out, that it was the enforcement of that law. And then look with me at verse number 11. We see the evil work of sin. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Sin is deceptive. It doesn't matter what way you slice it. Matter of fact, the very start of it, was deceptive. When Adam, uh, or when, when Satan tempted Eve, it was deceptive. He came to her and he twisted God's words and said, thou shalt not surely die. Um, and, and he twisted some of the things that God had told her to be true. Listen, the Bible says that Satan is a liar and the father of it. And, uh, and listen, from the very beginning, he's been that way. And he is out to deceive and to cause Christians and cause people to fall into sin. It was born out, out of deception, and it will continue in deception. There's an old song and an old saying that says that sin will take you farther than you want to go. And it will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you far more than you want to pay. Listen, sin, that's true about sin. It, it, will, it, will, it will lure you away with just a little step. Well, what about this? Oh, that's not so bad. Well, what about this? Well, that's not so bad. Well, what about this? Well, that's not so bad. Well, what about this? That's not so bad. And, and before you know it, you are so far removed from God and sin has drawn you away from everything that's right and everything that's good and everything that's righteous. And, and it will continue to drag you away from God. That's why we've got to be serious about it. That's why we've got to say, man, I need to be careful of sin. It's deceptive. And our nature will naturally fall towards that because we do have a sinful nature. And our body does desire sinful things many times. And so we have got to be careful of that because sin is very deceptive and it will draw us away. That's what he's saying. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it slew me. So we see the character of the law. It is an excellent law. It's an educating law. It's an enforcing law. And, and then we can certainly see the evil work of sin by the law. But then I want you to notice as well, look at verse number 13. We can see the evaluating 
by the law. Look at verse number 13. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. In other words, the law of God paints sin as it truly is. In other words, many times in our life, we'll, we'll see stuff, we'll say, well, that's not so bad. But if you go look up what God says about it, He says, no, that's sin. That's wrong. And we need to be careful that we, uh, that we follow God's Word in our life and that we're careful about things in our own life and, and not to uh, maybe compare it to other people. A story goes that there was a soldier who had been on the battlefield. And while he was on the battlefield, he was, uh, he was very proud of how, how uh, white he had kept his, his whites. Uh, and, and so he had, man, he washed them. And, and on the battlefield, it was difficult. They were living in tents. It was wartime condition. And many times they didn't have access to clean and good water. And, and he did the very best he could. And, and anytime his whites were uh, laid out, man, they were whiter than any of the other soldiers in his unit. He was very proud of that fact that he had managed to keep his whites just so clean uh, while he was on the battlefield. It was a point of, uh, of something that he was very proud of and something that he worked very hard at. However, after the battle was over and he was allowed finally to return home, he brought out those whites that he was so proud of and he laid them on the clean white bed sheets at home and he found out they're pretty dingy and they're not half as white as he thought they were. And listen, Christian, as we're on the battlefield, a lot of times we'll think we're doing really good. And we'll think, man, I'm staying clean and I'm keeping my life right with God. And I'm doing the very best that I can. And certainly you are working at it. And certainly that is a good thing. But listen, whenever you compare all of our goodness to the pure Word of God, to the standard of what is right and what is wrong, we find out, man... I'm not half as good as I thought I was. And may it, not, may it not drive us to throw in the towel, but rather help us to say, man, I want to be better, and I want to strive harder, and I want to live closer, and I want to walk more with God. I find that in our life, it's easy to fall to the side. It's easy to wander away from God. But we, we've got to have a drive in us that says, hey, I want to do what is right. And I want to evaluate my life according to the Word of God. And I know that I won't be uh, perfect in my life, but I want to get as close to God as I can possibly get. One of the problems, I think, in society in general, I wrote an article years ago, and, and I thought, you know, if, if I'll give you an illustration. If, if, I, if I take my dog out for a walk, my dog, she loves to walk. Matter of fact, she loves to walk so much, when I get the leash out, she goes ballistic, and I can barely put the leash on her. I'm not kidding you. Sometimes I have to pin her down with, with both hands and put my knee on her and hold her down and try and get her collar because she's just so excited. She's, she can't even contain herself. She's wiggling all over and I can't hardly get the collar on. And when I get the collar on and I, and I go out and I'm walking my dog, I'm not kidding you, she is pulling me the entire time. I used to jog with my dog in Italy and, and, uh, and I'm not kidding you, she used to increase my time. 
my running time. I mean, that's how, she's a good dog for running. And so if you want to increase your running time, you come borrow my dog. You can borrow any time you want and go running. She'll love it. It'll make, I promise you, it'll up your speed. So I take her running, or take her running, and, and she would, I mean, she's pulling my arm just about out of socket, and, and, uh, and I finally had to come up with something, and so I had to come up with another collar system that now, now she doesn't do it when, when, when we go out and walk, she doesn't pull so much, but it used to be she would pull, and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and so she would, she would almost get as far away from me as she could, and not because she didn't like me, but she was kind of like, hey, how, what's, where's my limit at? How far can I go? And as Christians, oftentimes, instead of saying, how close can I get to God? We are often saying, where's my limits at? Where's the boundary? How, how far am I allowed? How far will God allow me to be in my life and still be a good Christian? Because I don't want to be a bad Christian, but I, I, want, I want just about as much liberty and I want as much allowance that I'm allowed to do instead of saying, you know what, I want to be as close to God as I can get. And I don't want to go to the end of my leash. I want, I want that leash to be dragging all over the ground because I want to stay as close as I can to the Master. That's what we need in our life when we evaluate. The law evaluates our sin, and yes, it condemns it, and yes, it says it is bad, and it helps us realize how wrong and how sinful truly we are. But listen, may, we, may it drive us to want to desire to be closer to God instead of trying to get as far away from God as we can in our life. And so we can see those few things, the comparison of law and the character of the law, how it really exposes our sin. It is an excellent law, as the Bible does call it, holy and just and good. Uh, and then it educates us, it enforces uh, the law. And then we can see the evaluation, uh, how it evaluates our sin in our life as well. And uh, next not next week, because Brother Sam Davidson will be preaching, but after that, we're going to look at the conflict of the law. In Romans chapter 7 at the second, the latter part of it, he says this, and we'll kind of get a little preview of what we're, we're going to look at. Look in verse number 15. He says, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that I do. And we see that conflict of, of the law that is inside of, of Paul, the Apostle Paul. And how he struggled with that and how we can overcome that. And I feel like we can cover that all in one session. But, uh, but I hope tonight just being able to see the comparison uh, of how we are uh, no longer married to that law. But at the same time, uh, we can see the character of that law and how important it was to expose our sin and to teach us what sin is. And to teach us the judgment of that sin and to challenge us to live and walk as closely as we can to, the, to our Lord God in our life. And I hope that's a help and a blessing to you tonight as we just kind of walk through the book of Romans and, uh, and hope that uh, it is a um, strengthening and encouraging each and every believer. As we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Father, for really for your word that explains and teaches us so many things, even about ourselves. 
God, sometimes things that we may not even desire to know about ourselves, God, that sometimes we see ourselves as, as wicked and as lost as we are, but God, may we be amazed at how great your love is toward us. God, what a wonder that you would love us that much, that you'd send your son to die on Calvary to save us of our sins. And God, I pray that you'd help us to serve you with our life. God, understanding and realizing we're imperfect people, but God, we desire to do the best we can to live for you, Father, in the best way that we can. God, we ask humbly that you'd use us God, that you'd work through us. And God, that we would see people saved and see lives changed because of your goodness, because of your greatness. God, I pray that you'd help us to walk with you and to see our sin as sin, exactly what you've said it is, and understand that you love us that you care for us, and that you desire us to serve you. God, I pray that you'd help us to have that same heart's desire to serve you. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. If, as the piano plays, if God's spoken to your heart, I always want to give an opportunity to pray. Maybe God spoke to your heart about something. to a